Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It is the number one ranked company in Google for SEO company and New Jersey internet marketing companies. Check out their information in our show notes. Today's podcast is part 17 of the Walking Backwards series John has been teaching on Sunday mornings at Church in the Woods at Freedom Ranch. Without further delay, here's John. Love you. Thank you, David. Okay. I want to study with you today from continue our study in the the series that I call Walking Backwards, which is really just learning to live in this world day in and day out like Jesus, just walking the way he walked, same lifestyle he had. Now, you might not understand that to begin with, but I want you to understand what a privilege it is that God has given us this calling. And so I want to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 4, another passage concerning our walk in this world or our lifestyle in this world as Christians. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, which also, by the way, in the book of Ephesians, in that letter he wrote, begins the practical section of Paul's letters. You know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, a lot of it. And in each one of his letters, you can divide them in half, actually, or roughly in half. The first half describes... Everything God has done for you, you couldn't do for yourself. I mean, he goes through in a lot of detail, especially in Ephesians, about all the things that God has done for you in Christ you weren't able to do for yourself. And then beginning in roughly in half, half the letter, the last half is going to describe what God intends to do through you for other people. So the first half is what God is doing for you. The second half is what he's doing through you for other people. And here we are, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, beginning the second half of Paul's letter. So I just want you to understand the concept here, the context is Paul's going to describe what God intends to do through you for other people. Okay, that's the context that we're going to read this in. And our walk in that is just simply our lifestyle, the way we live our lives because of what God has done for us. So let's read the verses and we'll try to explain them a little bit. He says, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, 
with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The emphasis here is what Paul calls walking worthy. And what does he mean by that? That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, all of you have different vocations. Temporal vocations. I didn't realize it the other day, but when they reinstalled the sink for Sandy in her her kitchen, the installers said they could not, by law, <laughs> I don't know why, they could take it apart, take the sink out, put the new countertop in, put the new put the old sink back in, but they couldn't hook it up. So we have this wonderful countertop that they took apart and put back in, but they did not have the vocation of a plumber, so they couldn't put it back in. I even tried to bribe them to put it back in. <laughs> that didn't work either. So I can't fault them because I guess they were walking worthy of their vocation, which was not a plumber. But my vocation was not a plumber either. However, Sandy and I managed to figure out how to put it back together. Now, the vocation that you have in your everyday life the calling may vary from person to person, but that's not the vocation he's talking about here. He's saying, walk worthy of the vocation where if you are called, is that God has given you a calling. You may not realize that. You may not have understood that. But God has called you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus has called you out. And you're part of that called out assembly he called the church. And Paul's getting ready to talk about that here. But first he says, I want you to walk worthy of your calling. Now, notice how he refers to himself. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. What does he mean by the prisoner of of the Lord. Well, Paul is true. Paul was writing this from prison. So in that sense, he was a literal prisoner. And he was writing from prison because of his testimony, because of his ministry, his preaching concerning the Lord. However, that prisoner of the Lord was not because he was arrested by the authorities and put in prison. He, had, he has a far deeper meaning than that. The prisoner of the Lord means, I don't have a choice. See, prisoners don't have choices. Which, by the way, when they get out of prison, you can talk to Alex about this, when they get out of prison, they are overwhelmed. You know, in prison, they might have three or four choices a day. When they get out of prison... They've got hundreds of choices to make, and it overwhelms them. Prisoners don't have a choice. A prisoner of the Lord has given up his own 
free choice has given up what God has given each one of us. God has given each one of us a free choice. We talked about this several weeks ago in line of in light of the experience Jonah had. But he's given each one of us a freedom of choice. The most healthy thing you can do with that freedom of choice is to turn it over to God and let Him run the show. If you hang on to your freedom of choice, what you're going to wind up doing is trying to control everyone and everything around you. Because your freedom of choice is naturally tainted with your own selfishness. But when you turn it over to God, you become a prisoner of the Lord. No freedom of choice. He tells you what to do. He tells you where to go. He tells you what He wants to happen. He's in charge, not you. So Paul says, because I'm a prisoner of the Lord, I'm encouraging you. That's what he means by I beseech you. I counsel you. I encourage you. Walk worthy of your vocation. Now, the vocation he's talking about is that high calling of God. The word vocation and calling can be interchangeable here. It's the high calling God has given each one of you. And let's think about that a minute. What is your calling? That high calling God has given us, though it be different, as we'll see here in a moment, for each of us, has one thing in common for all of us. And that calling is to live on this earth, in this life, in this world, like Jesus did. That's our high calling of Christ. Now, our high calling of God, as I'll explain more in detail here in a moment, is to actually love other people like Jesus did. To even bring it further home, I like to use the term to be Jesus to other people. That's a privilege. You stop and think about it. Now, a lot of people see that as a duty, an obligation, something that is not going to be fun, something that's not going to be good for them. And then, especially those folks that think of that high calling of God as a religious duty. You've got to somehow be religious. Remember, Jesus was the most non-religious person you'll ever know ever meet. He was not religious in the slightest. In fact, it was the religious people who were against him, who plotted his death, who cried, crucify him. So this high calling you've been given of God is not to be religious. It's not to play religious games. It's not to run around looking religious, sounding religious whatever form that might take. No, no, it's not about you. This high calling of God is about others, not you. And that's what makes it difficult. In order to realize and understand this high calling of God, we've got to get out of ourselves. We've got to quit making number one, number one. We've got to start thinking 
about others, caring about them, about what they are experiencing, what they need instead of just what we need. That's where it becomes necessary to walk worthy of the high calling. It becomes necessary for you to live like Jesus. See, when Jesus was in this world, he wasn't worried about himself. Did you know that? He wasn't. He wasn't always trying to make himself look good. He wasn't trying to protect himself. He wasn't concerned about himself in any way. During his ministry, he said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. In other words, I didn't come to take or receive. I came to give. That's the high calling each one of you have. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus to actually be Christ and loving others. So that's what he's talking about when he says, I want you to walk worthy of this calling. Now, what is that going to involve? Well, he goes on to explain a couple of things in this next verse. He says, this is the way you're going to do it. There's three critical uh, parts to this. Number one, he says, with all lowliness and meekness. Now, you'll notice that lowliness and meekness is the same way that Jesus characterized himself. He said, I am lowly and I'm meek. I am meek and lowly. But where did he do that? When he gave that invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, to come unto me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, you're working hard and burdened down. Come unto me and I will give you rest, he said. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly at heart and you shall find rest to your souls. In order to walk worthy of the vocation where we're called, we're going to have to get in that yoke with Jesus. Now, a lot of people freak about that because a yoke is not an instrument that you would normally take up to rest. It's an instrument of work. A yoke, in the agricultural analogy used there, was a double yoke. One side of it, in the training process, one side of it is a mature animal, oxen, horse, whatever, who knows what to do. And the other side is a youngster who doesn't have a clue. And that's how you train. That's how you train animals to do work, to pull in the yoke. So Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? That means he is the one that's doing the work. You're along in the yoke with him to watch him work and learn. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly at heart. See this 
requirement here of walking worthy of our vocation means we're going to have to get in the yoke with Jesus. That was his vocation. What was his vocation? He came to display the love of God. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to lay down his life for mankind. That was his yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, there's been a fallacy in the church for over 300 years. I began to talk a little bit to you about it at the beginning of the service today. And that fallacy is the one who does the ministry, the one who is, quote, in the yoke, is the minister. Who's that? Oh, that's the guy standing up in front of everybody. He's the one that is supposed to do the ministry. He's the one that's supposed to take on the yoke of Jesus and seek and to save that which is lost. The rest of you are mere spectators. You don't do anything but sit on your butt and watch. Now that would work well for the counterfeit church because actually the false leadership in a counterfeit church doesn't want to set you free. Doesn't want to turn you loose. They want to keep you under their thumb. And only let you do things that will make them look good. Oh, they'll let you tithe all you want to. Did you know that? Hmm? They'll let you give as much money as you want to. They'll let you volunteer as much as you want to to make them look good. But they will not teach you to get in the yoke with Jesus because they're afraid of losing their position. Listen. I want to lose my position. Okay. I want to I want to, my position to be clouded with the dust of your serving one another in love. I don't want anybody to see me. I want them to see you. A couple of weeks ago I wrote a newsletter article in which I described my mission. My mission as a leader in the body of Christ is to make you look good. First of all, in your own mind. To cause you to see who you really are. Who God has made you to be. I want to make you look good. And secondly, I want to make you look good in the eyes of other people as well. That's my job. My job is to tell you who you really are. Who God has made you to be and what he intends to do through you. Now we're to that point where in order to be to actually do my job, I have to describe for you the ministry that God has called you to. The ministry that he's called you to is to love others like Christ. The ministry he's called you to is to take called you to is to take his yoke upon you, learn of him, watch him work. And by the way, the promise there is you shall find rest to your souls when you do that. The ministry you're called to is to love one another like Christ. And you have been given all the provisions necessary to do that very thing. So, first part of walking worthy, 
of, vo of your vocation is to have an attitude of meekness and lowliness. Now, don't confuse that with weakness. A lot of people confuse meekness with weakness. And they, they look at meekness as some kind of a, I don't know, milk, milk toast kind of attitude. No. In fact, it's just the opposite. Meekness is, is when you are the strongest. Why? Because meekness gets rid of this know-it-all attitude we're born with. How many of you realize that, you know, when you're a kid, especially as you enter into those adolescent years, you know everything? Hmm? You, know, uh, you know everything about everything. Just pick a subject and they'll tell you about it. And as you grow up, you learn like, I don't know nothing. See, meekness gets rid of that know-it-all attitude and realizes, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. But I know who does. Meekness is relying upon God as your sovereign authority. God, who is omnipotent, to use you and to work through you. That's meekness. And lowliness of mind, that's humility. Now, don't get confused again on humility. Humility is not that you think of yourself as being less than other people. That's a false humility. But that you think of yourself less than you think of other people. Your mind is always on the needs of others. You're looking for what can I do for you? Not what can you do for me? You see how backwards that is? That's why I call this walking backwards. It's totally backwards to the natural way we're programmed. Now, to walk worthy of this vocation, we're going to have to do so with meekness and all lowliness. That describes our attitude toward ourselves. But what about other people? He says, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. I like this. Long-suffering. He didn't say short-suffering. See, I don't mind suffering as long as it's short. All right? If it's just a little while, I can take it. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. What's he talking about? He's talking about the natural condition of, the human, of humanity that you will engage in as you walk worthy of vocation wherewith you're called. How many of you know that people are dumb? Hmm? Have you learned that yet? One of the reasons I think Jesus called them sheep. People are dumb. They do the dumbest things. They say the dumbest things. And every day, one of those dumb people are going to piss you off by what they say or do. Or didn't say or do. You're going to have a conflict 
trying to walk worthy of your vocation because of the people you're associated with. You see, you're going to need long-suffering. You're going to need to have the ability to forbear others in love. When I talk about loving other people like Christ, most of us get the idea that this is a positive thing, that we're doing some act of kindness or we're speaking kind words to somebody. But the greater part of loving other people like Christ is what he's talking about here, forbearing one another in love. What does that mean? It means putting up with each other. You put up with each other. See, human beings are by nature obnoxious. That goes back to their self-centeredness, okay, which makes them obnoxious to us. And because they're by nature obnoxious, it's going to require a great deal of long-suffering on our part to relate to them. And it's going to take not only the long-suffering that we put up with their nonsense, but it's going to take the ability to bear with them. People don't always act like they should, do they? Even Christian people, they don't always act like Christ. They don't always act like they should. That's where forbearing them in love comes into play. Now, as I've said in a different context, when in your relationships, as you're walking worthy of the vocation where with your call to be Christ to others, to love others, in your relationships, when somebody is obnoxious and somebody does some stupid thing, somebody hurts you in some way, somebody offends you, you have a choice right there. You have a choice to long suffer with them and forbear them in love, or you can simply choke them to death. Right? In order for you to walk worthy of your vocation, you're going to have to learn the long suffering and the forbearance, which is going to require one thing and one thing only, and that is you're going to have to forgive them for being stupid. You're going to have to forgive them for being ignorant. You're going to have to forgive them because they haven't got a clue of what they're doing, even though it hurts you terribly. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a clue. Forgiving them is not letting them off the hook. It's letting you off the hook. Because when you forgive them, you don't have to hate them anymore. You don't have to take all that time and energy to hate the people who hurt you. No, you're free from that. To forbear them in love means you're going to have to forgive them. Now, there is one other choice that you can make. And that is actually determined by the Spirit of God living in you. And that is, you can either forgive them, which is fairly quick, or you can restore them, 
and the spirit of meekness considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now that restoration process has to be spirit-led. You have to know God has called you to do it, and you have to rely entirely upon His power for you to do it. That's a long, drawn-out process. The forgiveness, that's quick. 99% of the people you encounter that are obnoxious that you have to long suffer with, 99% of the people that you have to forbear and love, you'll deal with by forgiveness. There may be one or two that God will cause you and call you to restore them, to edify them. But most of the time, you forgive them. Notice what he says here in this next verse. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What does that mean? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is Paul's way of of making our union with Christ, which is the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of the good news, is God has joined you inseparably to His Son, Jesus. You are joined in His death, His burial, and in His resurrection. God has brought you together so that what's true of Jesus is true of you. Jesus worthy? Then so are you. You're worthy. Why? Because you're joined to Him. So keeping that heart of the Gospel in the mind, He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. What is that unity? That unity starts with you being joined to God. You being one with His Son, Jesus. That's the unity. Where it begins. But as you are joined to Christ, as you become one with Him, because you have His mind, you have His Spirit, You have, by the way, His calling. Because you are joined to Christ, you now can truly love other people. And the unity spreads to the body of Christ. Now, endeavoring to keep that means simply that we trust our union with Christ. That's not an easy thing to do. Did you know that? No, it's not. Sounds easy, but it's not. Because every day you're going to be tempted. Every day there's going to be some obstacle that's going to come up in your way that will tell you in your own mind and in your own thinking that you're no good. That you've blown it. That you're a failure. That you are not joined to Christ. And every day you're going to become self-centered. You're going to be tempted to think only about yourself. Well, when you're thinking only about yourself, what does that do to other people? You ignore them. You can't think about them, much less love them. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit means I believe the Gospel for me. I believe that God has joined me inseparably to His Son, Jesus. I believe that I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, and Christ and I are both in the Father. There's this tremendous unity, union, that God has produced. 
I'm in him, he's in me. But that doesn't end there. The unity of the Spirit goes one step further. I'm not only going to believe that I am in Christ. He's in me and we are in the Father. But I must believe that you are in Christ. And He is in you. And you in Christ are in the Father. See, if I quit believing the Gospel for you, if I quit believing that you are worthy, no matter how you act, if I quit believing that you are worthy, I'm going to quit believing that I am. Because the two go hand and glove together. If I'm going to continue to believe I am worthy as a child of God, so that I can walk worthy of the vocation wherewith He's called me, I'm going to have to believe that you likewise are worthy. If I'm going to believe the Gospel is true for me, I'm going to have to believe it is true for you. No matter how you look. No matter what you do. I'm going to have to believe the Gospel is true for you. Now, with that in mind, Paul goes on to to explain this unity. And one more thing, I'll close. He says in the next verse, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What's he talking about here? He lists out seven unities here. Seven different unities. That they all work together. One body, one spirit, one calling, one Lord, one God. They're all one. The unity that we're endeavored to keep is not just concerning ourselves with God. That's nice. It's nice that you've got a good relationship with God. But what about everybody else? See, it includes them as well. And we have a responsibility in that because of this final thing I'm going to tell you about, and that is the gifting God has given you. Now, here, let me make a, a quick disclaimer here. By unity, unity of the Spirit, especially, I'm not talking about uniformity uniformity is when everybody dresses like everybody acts alike everybody talks alike okay everybody eats the same stuff that's uniformity that is not unity that's just looking like each other that is not unity the unity of the spirit involves all of this oneness we were just talking about. It involves the Spirit making you one with Christ and making everybody else one with Christ. That's the unity of the Spirit. And so what he goes on to say is, look, unto every one of us, 
is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Because unity is not uniformity, we're not all the same, thank God. We don't all have the same gifts and callings. The gifts he's talking about is a measure of grace that God uses you to love other people with. It's what God has given you to be able to love other people like he does. And you've all received different gifts. We're not all alike. We're all different. And God celebrates that difference. And he goes on to talk about how he gave gave men gifts when he's ascended it back into heaven. I don't have time to explain all that to you, but the point is that each one of you individually have been, been given a special gift of God for you to fulfill your calling. And he closes with a general statement in this section by saying he gave some, verse 11, apostles. He say He gave some prophets. He gave some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. What does that mean? There's, these are various gifted men who form the leadership of the church he's building. You see, Jesus is not concerned about just one individual looking good. He's concerned that All of you look good. He wants every one of you to have the same grace that He Himself manifested while He walked on this earth. Remember, I've told you repeatedly in our study, walking backwards is just simply walking like Christ in grace and truth. And God has given you the ability to do that. He has given you the grace necessary for you to be able to walk. Now these gifted men he gave to the church, what is their job? To equip the saints. That's you. You've been set apart for God's purpose. You are called. You have a calling. To equip you for the work of your ministry, of your service. And how long are we supposed to do that? Until we all come into the measure of the perfect stature of Christ. That means it's going to be an ongoing process from now on. We're going to be learning. We're going to be equipping, preparing to fulfill that high calling of God in Christ Jesus continuously, day after day, throughout the rest of our life. So to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In summary, let me just put it this way. It means to live according to the direction, the personal direction of God in your life. See, that's the way Jesus lived. He told his disciples, the things you hear me say, those are my words that come from the Father. The things you see me do, That's not my works. That came from the Father. Your job is to represent Jesus here on this earth. That is your high calling of God in Christ Jesus, to represent Him as an ambassador. 
to be Christ to others around you. And it's a privilege. It's not an obligation or duty. It's a privilege. A privilege that we can enjoy. A privilege that we can engage in and be satisfied with as we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Let's pray. Father God, as we come into your presence right now, I thank you. I thank you for the calling that you've given us in your Son. I thank you, Father, for the power of your Spirit to work in each one of us, to lead us and direct us in everything we do or say to fulfill this calling. And I ask, Father, that you would be glorified in it and that you would keep us strong in it. These things I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Appreciate you all being here. Go in peace and fulfill your calling. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 